And that opened the door for a, a financial speculative casino economy that has become bigger and bigger, uh, more and more debt, more and more bubbles, more bubbles popping, and yet they still haven't corrected it. So I've been working with LaRouche for all these years to try to have a corrective away from monetary policy toward physical economic policy. And if we don't do that soon, we're going to have exactly what LaRouche forecast in, in 1971, which is a global banker's dictatorship, which will implement austerity against the whole world, including against Americans and, and the populations of Western Europe as well. Thanks for watching this RTD interview. Don't forget to pick up your RTD Scary George Round, only available at stboyer.com. Now enjoy this interview. Thanks for tuning in to this Rethinking a Dollar interview. Today I'm excited to have returning guest, Mr. Harley Schlanger. He's a political activist, blogger, as well as a commentator. Today he's joining us to share his thoughts on the global economy, political matters, and a lot more. So Harley, welcome back to Rethinking a Dollar. Good to see you again. Well, I appreciate you taking time to share your thoughts on what's going on, and definitely I want to dive in. But before we dive into the questions that I have for you, for those who may not know Harley Schlanger, and especially LaRouge Pack, can you give us a little bit of that information there and, and, and how you arrived at this point in your career? Sure. Uh, I, I've been working with Lyndon LaRouche, who passed away in February, but I've been working with him since 1972. Uh, LaRouche is primarily known as a physical economist, that is, someone who looks at economics from the standpoint of the science of physical production, as opposed to monetary policy or, or financial wingdings. Uh, he first came to prominence with his forecast that the Bretton Woods system would break up, uh, and it did with Nixon in 1971, and that opened the door for a, a financial speculative casino economy that has become bigger and bigger, uh, more and more debt, more and more bubbles, more bubbles popping, and yet they still haven't corrected it. So I've been working with LaRouche for all these years to try to have a corrective away from monetary policy toward physical economic policy. And if we don't do that soon, we're going to have exactly what LaRouche forecast in, in 1971, which is a global banker's dictatorship, which will implement austerity against the whole world, including against Americans and, and the populations of Western Europe as well. Okay, so that's that. So that's right there. That's something we're gonna to definitely touch on. And so, uh, first question: um, a lot of things is happening. We have the the political back and forth between China, the trade war. We have the currency situation, Jackson Hole. We want to touch on that. But you know, out of all the things that's currently going on, what's uh, Harley Schlanger keeping an eye on the most? What concerns you the most at this time? Well, what we're seeing is uh, all this talk about recession, 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 and uh, what will trigger it? Is it the trade war? Is it uh, Trump's inconsistency, you know, you hear all this from the, the pundits, none of them mention the buildup of debt after 2008. When we had a crash in 2008. Instead of correcting the mistakes, namely write down the debt and stop the speculation and figure out how to channel uh, investment into the real economy, they built up a new bubble. And so now we're at the point where that new bubble is popping. It's not popping because of what China's doing. It's not popping because of what Trump is doing. It's popping because we've had imbalances in the economy going back to 1971 that have just built this bubble up and up and up. So what do we see the bankers doing? Are they going to correct it now? 
No, this last week at Jackson Hole, actually 10 days ago now, uh, you had two proposals put forward. One by the head of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, who called for a systemic hegemon, uh, uh, hegemonic currency. And what did he mean by that? A virtual currency in which central banks can extend new money printing as much as possible. And he even called it helicopter money. This is the old term that Bernanke came up with after 2008, just pumping money into the system as though it doesn't matter. Now, at the same time, a group of four former central bankers working with BlackRock came up with a proposal they called for as a monetary regime change in international finance. And what they said is that central banks should take over fiscal policy. In other words, it's not enough that they control credit and monetary policy they should tell governments where to invest the money. And it's the same policy of printing more and more money. Now, is that going to go to the mom and pop shops? Is it going to go to small and medium enterprises, to uh, technology centers, research and development? No, it's going to go into new speculation. And the new speculation is with the so-called green economy. And that's the third swindle, the green financial initiative typified by Bernie Sanders' proposal to spend $17 trillion to wean the United States off coal, nuclear, and fossil fuels, and instead have everything so-called sustainable, solar and wind power, which, which won't work. It won't sustain an economy. And so now we're seeing we're sort of at the end of an era, the end of the casino economy, and they're trying to figure out how to extend it. And the only way to extend it is worse austerity and uh, printing money and dumping it out of helicopters into speculation. So that's, that's what we're looking at, and, and that's what people should know. It's a, it's a horrible series of uh, options they're putting forward. Okay, so, uh, wow. So we got, I pulled away three or four things I want to touch on. The very first one you hinted at was debt. And so currently at this moment, we have a president saying the economy is doing great. But yeah, he's also calling for the Federal Reserve to get caught up with the other central banks by dropping rates and beginning quantitative easing stimulus type policies. But how does an expansion and a good economy equate to the need for emergency type policy? So where's the disconnect? The disconnect is that President Trump was not able to do what he wanted to do by going with Glass-Steagall, going with an infrastructure policy. Uh, and uh, uh, moving away from the Federal Reserve control of monetary policy. Since he couldn't do that, he embraced the stock market bubble. I've said this is his Achilles heel because he doesn't control the stock market bubble. It's controlled by Wall Street and the city of London. He's putting himself in their hands. And just this last week, William Dudley, the former president of the New York Federal Reserve, did an op-ed in Bloomberg. And what did he say? He said the Fed shouldn't help Trump. The Fed should make the election about Trump's mismanagement of the economy, the disaster in the making, and essentially said the Fed should carry out a coup against the president by not giving him what he wants. Now, you raise an important point. Low interest rates are generally good for a physical economy, for a real economy. But negative interest rates, quantitative easing, uh, with no direction to it, means that money will go into the quickest, quick buck speculation. And it, that means it goes into the stock market. So with the tax cut, what happened? Companies took the tax cut money and bought their own stock. There's a tremendous amount of stock buybacks. So it made the market look good for a while. 
but it added the debt to those companies. And now we see a, a 40 to 60% increase in corporate debt. And almost 50% of that is BBB rating or lower. In other words, junk bond. Now, that's what banks are holding on their books, worthless financial assets. So they're saying to the Fed, we need more paper. We need more money to back it. And that's why they're, they're pushing for these lower rates. And Trump is making a mistake by saying that all we need is lower rates. If he were to start by saying we need banking reform and we need to write down the debt, then have lower rates, it'd be fine. But that's not what he's doing. And he's being set up by Wall Street to lose in 2020. Now, what's the chance that President Trump might have a game plan? And because once before, he's the only president, to my knowledge, that has been openly uh, critical of Federal Reserve policy. And he's basically called out Jerome Powell in every way possible, apart from just calling him what he probably really wants to call him. But yet, once again, we have William Dudley coming out saying it's Fed adverse to the U.S., basically. And so how will that play out? Like, that's not something that's normal. And I, I, I believe I heard something about a congressman, congressman referring to the need to now look into uh, the Fed becoming political now, if that is the case. Well, it, it, the Fed has always been political. The idea of the independence of the Federal Reserve. When times are good, the Fed can pretend it's not political and it's independent. But when times get bad like this, they grab as much power as they can. Now, Trump is right to attack the Fed. And he's raised this, I know, on a number of occasions in private discussions. Uh, he raised it somewhat during the end of his 2016 campaign when he came out for Glass-Steagall and said, we've got to stop the Fed from creating bubbles. But then because of the treachery of some of his own Republican Party people, like Paul Ryan and others, who weren't on board with him, and then the so-called Russiagate, you know, the decision by the Obama intelligence community to work with British intelligence, Christopher Steele and others, to run a coup against Trump, he's been fighting a, a battle to stay in office. Now, I admire the fact that Trump stood up against the deep state the way no president has. Remember, they took out John Kennedy. And after that, when the FBI came calling with blackmail material, the presidents all backed down, except Trump. But on the Federal Reserve, he's got to go further. It's, that's, as I say, it's not just a question of interest rates. It's where the credit goes. Are you using credit to pay off bad debt? That's like using a credit card to pay off a mortgage. It just adds to the debt. And that's what we've seen, Mike. We've seen a, a tremendous expansion of corporate debt, of government debt, of personal debt. And unless you deal with that, that's the elephant in the room. And I think if Trump wants to be reelected, and more importantly, if he wants to do what's right for America, he should get on television and say, look, here's my real beef with the Fed. They are running a casino economy, not providing credit where it needs to go, and I'm going to change that. Well, that would be something worthwhile and worth seeing. And so my next follow-up question would be, as far as the amount of the, the, the digital dollar, you know, and the role of the cryptocurrency, as you mentioned, Jackson Hole, Mark Carney came out, and then we have China I think a week ago, announced their official digital currency. And so for the most part, outside of paper, fiat currencies, all currencies are more than likely already digital units. And so how does the Fed needing to implement helicopter money, as well as the world's call away from the dollar, how can that add up? It doesn't. I mean, it's, it's a scam. 
It, it's, a pon it's an attempt to keep a Ponzi scheme going. And look, here's the ultimate thinking. Carney and the BlackRock people all said, well, the danger is with helicopter money, you might get hyperinflation. Well, no kidding. Of course you would. So the BlackRock guy said, we need a committee of experts to keep an eye on this to make sure it doesn't happen. What, are these the same experts who caused 2008 to occur? The same experts who built these bubbles? They're, they're not going to stop it. And the danger is that the whole thing blows. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, the only way we'll ever get change is if it blows. The problem is, if the wrong guys are still in charge, when it blows, it's going to be a massive wipeout of population uh, in, in the United States as well as throughout the world. And so that's the real problem. What do you do to replace the dollar with a digital currency? Who's going to end up controlling it? It's going to be the same people. Now, if you have a hyperinflationary collapse, there's one benefit for these financial swindlers. They can then get the helicopter money to pay off the debt with cheap dollars. And that way, they can write down the debt and then still control everything, while the rest of us are going to have trouble finding food, gasoline, heat for the house in the winter, and so on. Now, something's happening behind the scenes. I, I, and I, I'm going to just explain myself because now we have the mainstream news coming out with more recessionary talks. It looks like every day yeah. throughout the day, there's some type of report saying recession, such and such says recession, economist says recession, author says recession. So they're really painting up the recession narrative. And so they throw out 2020 as being the time it starts. But we know that it's usually two adjustments of, for, for GDP growth that leads to that. So would you say we're currently in a recession? at this current moment or slow down or whatever they might want to call it? I'd call it a breakdown crisis. You know, what we're, it, it's sort of like Wile E. Coyote going off the cliff and until he looks down, he still thinks he's on the cliff. You know, we, we've gone over the point. Look, the so-called gains in manufacturing and wages and jobs that occurred in the beginning of Trump's term have been wiped out. We're seeing a collapse of manufacturing. More importantly, a decline in productivity. Uh, I live in Germany. In Germany now, two of the last four quarters, they've had negative growth. And the idea of negative interest rates, you know, what does that really do? People think, well, does that mean they give me money if I borrow money? What it really means is you can't save anything because whatever money you put in the savings, you have to pay the bank to have that money in the bank. So if you have $1,000, you end up really with only 970 or 960, depending on how big the negative interest rates are. In an economy like Germany, where savings is the basis of the investment in the physical economy, it's going to be wiped out, and we're already seeing that. You, you see chaos developing in Italy as a government collapse. There's the Brexit problem that has to be resolved. But in this country, people know that we haven't recovered from 2008. People are still working two jobs to keep a house, of, a roof over their head. Uh, what happens if you start having taxes on gasoline for decarbonization. Who's going to pay for that? That's what happened in France, and that's why the Yellow Vest movement started. So we're headed toward extremely dangerous time. Now, on your question, you know, the, usually the, they say, well, they find out afterwards that we were already in a recession. These are economic academic terms. You know, the, the thing that I like is they say uh, – Recession is when your brother-in-law has to move in with you, and a depression is when you both live on the street. 
you know, we're at a point where we're going to see increasing homelessness, increasing desperation, uh, more and more jobs, yes, but jobs at low wages and part-time work. So uh, I would say we've already crossed the line, and we'd better get moving quickly because the bankers, the central bankers, are moving. They are going with these schemes. Wow. One of the other points you hinted at earlier was the Green New Deal. And so right now we're entering the political season and we know we have, we're part of a two party system, right, left, conservative, liberal, whatever you want to call it, all to me of the same school of thought. And so we have one side that's proposing free this, universal this, unlimited this, that, and it's just a matter of time before I believe that type of talk catches on, especially as the main street and main economy begins to really feel the pinch in their pockets. So could you see a likelihood of, uh, one of those candidates, this promising free things, really getting traction and possibly becoming the next president? Well, you know, I, I think things would have to get pretty bad for that to happen. And, and if Trump doesn't do some of the things I've said to address these problems, it will be bad enough that maybe one of them gets elected. Or maybe it'll be Biden who's trying to say, look, I'm not radical, I'm in the middle. We don't need a middle character or a reform character. We need a radical change. But going back to something that worked before, the American system of physical economy. Hmm. Now, I think people do tend to look for more radical answers when things are falling apart. But the other thing is people don't vote when that happens. They lose hope. We're already seeing that, Mike. The, The suicide rates are up. The life expectancy in the United States is dropping for the first time, uh, I think, in, in recorded history, because health care is not available. People don't have the money for medicine. So, you know, this is really a, a dangerous situation. I don't see a solution with any of the Democratic candidates, to tell you the truth. Uh, I, I would say it's a one-party system, except Trump is sort of above the parties. He's not really a Republican. I mean, he doesn't get along very well with people like Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell. So, you know, I I think that our best hope is that people who listen to you, people on on the so-called alternative media, people who know something about the economy, become more vocal and demand that Trump follow through Glass-Steagall, a national credit policy through the Treasury, what Kennedy was doing, as opposed to the Federal Reserve, and in the long run, nationalize the Federal Reserve or just shut it down. And then invest in something physical. Infrastructure is a good place to start. And new technologies, science. Uh, you know, he, he's proposed this moon mission, moon Mars mission. You know, with Kennedy, that provided 10 to $12 private investment for every dollar the government spent. That's pretty good. That's where we should be going. Yeah, that would be good to see. And so you mentioned a physical economy. And so, so you, you hinted at a couple of those things there, but for those that may not quite understand, can you elaborate more on what a physical economy looks like and what some of those policy might, you know, turn out to be? Well, physical meaning real production. You know, the, you can pump money all you want in and out of bonds and create new financial instruments, the so-called financialization process, but that doesn't create real wealth. Real wealth is when you transform nature by taking new raw materials, developing them, machine tool products, uh, advancements in agriculture, a perfect example of this. Uh, Physical economy is how you increase the productivity of of workers with new science, with new technology. 
This is how our nation grew. This is what Alexander Hamilton did with his credit policy, which was a national banking policy to provide money for manufacturers and innovators. That always works. So that's how you then take a worker who used to work in a steel plant or an auto plant, who's now pushing boxes in an Amazon warehouse, and put him back to producing something. It also, by the way, is what allows you to have higher wages. And secondly, give a certain measure of dignity and pride to people that they're producing something as opposed to just playing a game with algorithms and quantified uh, uh, statistical analysis. We need to produce physical goods and we need to produce them more efficiently. And that's the way the economy becomes strong. Then the dollar, by the way, I think we do need to go back to a gold reserve currency with the dollar so that you can go back to fixed exchange rates. This is one of the important points LaRouche made about the effect of Nixon breaking with But with fixed exchange rates and a gold reserve and a physical production, then the dollar's strong as can be because it's backed by something real. Now, so do you think that there's been a large accumulation of gold by central banks in particular, and a lot of banks and governments repatriating their gold back, and I guess an anticipation for something. And so do you think that's a part of the plan that might be implemented by perhaps China or Russia, all the, 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 the big heavy uh, hoarders uh, or not hoarders, but savers in gold? Uh, do you think that's going to be a part of the plan outside, outside and away from the, from the dollar perhaps? Well, that's something that we haven't really touched on yet. But what you have with China is a physical production process, the so-called Belt and Road Initiative, where they're building infrastructure all over the world. The Russians are involved in that, the Indians, the Japanese, the whole of Asia is involved in that. They rejected Obama's Trans-Pacific Partnership and went instead with the Belt and Road Initiative, where they extend credit, but the credit goes for something that's producing something. Now, they don't want to waste that by taking on a currency that has no value behind it. They would prefer that the United States, that we would straighten out our policies. That's what the Chinese would really like. And that's why they're still in these negotiations with Trump on trade. They really do want a deal because we need each other. But they're not going to wait if they're going to see the dollar crash. And so they do have a convertible yuan now. They have bought, as you mentioned, a lot of gold, Russia and China and India, uh, Japan also. They're sitting there with lots of dollars. They'll do something to convert those dollars into gold-backed instruments if they have to, to be able to continue the expanded uh, production and trade. Uh, The best thing would be for Trump to sit down with Xi Jinping and discuss this, not have Peter Navarro there or some of these hardline anti-China guys like Bolton, but just have a a man-to-man talk with uh, Xi Jinping as they did before at Mar-a-Lago and in Beijing and in Osaka at the G20 summit. They come out of these meetings in agreement. They like each other. They want to do things. We made progress with North Korea. And then you bring in the bureaucrats and the whole thing goes to hell. So, you know, and, and one more point on the China thing. One thing China will not do is accept American or Western-style banking reform. They're protecting their banks. They have a kind of Glass-Steagall separation. So they're not going to allow Western banks to come in, grab up Chinese money, and then use it to extend leverage to go into a speculative uh, bubble. 
So if we try and impose on them Western banking methods, there'll never be a deal. And I think that's something that someone has to tell the president, because I, I don't think he's getting that from Peter Navarro and others. We're telling him that China's resisting the kind of reforms that are needed. Well, they don't need those kind of reforms, and, and neither do we. We need to get rid of them. Yeah. Now, as you draw towards the end of our discussion, uh, you mentioned earlier about a physical economy, and then you referenced the importance of getting back to something in the form of gold. And so given the fact that because of the current monetary base in digital and paper units around the, the planet, uh, what, what would be the process of trying to actually discover an actual nominal price to kind of begin the peg or ratio is reestablishing uh, to some type of number that's possible or doable? Well, one of my colleagues just wrote a paper on that uh, today, which I haven't fully studied. But what he said is that the starting point would be an agreement between the U.S. and China to come up with a peg between the yuan and the dollar to stop this stuff about who's doing currency manipulation and sit down and say, okay, what is a legitimate basis for a peg? Now, once you do that, and then if you have a gold reserve in the background, just to make sure that there's no cheating or finagling, then you can start the process of expanding trade. In fact, you could even do something where the Chinese would take some of their dollars and invest it in an infrastructure bank in the United States to help us rebuild our infrastructure. So, and then that would make those dollars, uh, put them to good use. So I think you need uh, bilateral negotiations. And once you do that between the U.S. and China, Japan would come in, South Korea would come in, and Russia would come in, and also the Indians. Then you have the basis for establishing a global fixed exchange rate system that has something of value underneath it. And then you can start allowing the, all the worthless paper, the worthless assets being kept on the books of banks at, at face value. Let them go down to their actual level. We'll find that many of them are worth nothing. But who's going to eat the losses? Not the taxpayers, but the people who made those speculative instruments. As, and so you gave a good possible optimistic scenario of what could happen. But based upon history, unfortunately, you know, empires always end in a very uncomfortable way. And it usually happens to be with war or something of that nature. And so are we at the end of the American empire, the way that we've known it for the last hundred years, give or take, and then moving forward, this transition period, recession crash, the Great Depression, the greatest of all depression, whatever it might be called when we look back in the history books, we've had a great financial crisis that was bad. 10 years of artificial expansion that really blown up a huge bubble. And so when the bubble burst, will we see an extended period of something very unpleasant? Well, I don't think it'll be an extended period because I think it'll lead to war and probably nuclear war. Uh, we may not see a human race survive this. So we, rather than dwelling on the pessimism, take a look at the fact that you can see Asia rising and the West, the United States and Western Europe, have chosen to go with a bad policy. Now, this is not the American policy initially. Much of what we're doing, we copied from the British Empire. So LaRouche always calls it the Anglo-American policy with the British saying, British brains and American brawn. Well, that policy is ending. The European Union is not going to survive too much longer because it's a, a funny money operation run by bankers in Brussels and Frankfurt 
And look, Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank, the two of them are going to need a bailout. And under EU laws, they can't do it. So what's going to happen? The two, two of the biggest banks in Germany. So the Western financial system either goes through radical transformation back to what worked in the post-war period during the Eisenhower years, the Kennedy years, or uh, will be left behind by Asia. The question then is, will the policymakers in the West have the good sense to say, okay, what are you guys doing that's right that we could join? Or will they say, we're not going to let you leap ahead of us, and then we have war? So it's a, it's a moment of incredible crisis, but it's also a moment of opportunity. And the problem is that there aren't too many people who talk about these things, who can think about these things, because the mass media is so much controlled by the same global corporations that created the mess. So I commend you for what you're doing and the, the, a number of the websites I work with where they're trying to engage a growing number of people in subjects that are somewhat difficult at first, but once you figure it out, it becomes obvious. So I think, I think we have a chance. Right. Well, I do agree. And Harley Sanger, I appreciate you for sharing that. And definitely hope we don't get to that last scenario of things, you know, I don't like to use that word that you referred to, so I'm going to leave it at that. But Harley Sanger, for those that might want to follow you and keep, up, and keep in touch with your, some of your writings, how can they uh, be a blessing to you and find your work? Well, I have a weekly blog now that's uh, connected to LaRouche Pack. The way to get it is write to me personally, my personal email, harleysch at gmail. That's H-A-R-L-E-Y-S-C-H at gmail.com. I'll send you a link to my blog and you can, then you'll get an email every time I post something new. All right. Sounds good. So once again, Harley, it's been great connecting with you. Looking forward to continuing to stay in touch with you. Definitely. I hope you have you back on later on and get your thoughts of where we're at at that point. So other than that, it's been, it's been great to have you on the show. Okay. It was good talking to you too.